At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Everywhere we turn, someone is promising to finally give us the satisfaction and happiness we long for. Yet from advertisements to political campaigns, these promises so often remain unfulfilled. We know God makes promises too, but do you ever wonder if He'll actually keep them? Join us for our Christmas series, Fulfilled, as we discover how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises to us and how the promises He kept then fulfill our deepest longings now. Great to see you on a very cold day. Uh, I want to begin this uh, afternoon by telling you just kind of a moment of confession. Christmas at our house isn't always as it appears. You see, Bonnie and I learned a valuable lesson when our kids were young. Sometimes you can't put all of the gifts underneath the tree. Okay, some of those gifts are just too predictable, they're too obvious, they're too uniquely shaped to set them under the tree. If you want to have any suspense in the process, you can't put a bicycle underneath the tree. You can't put a large Lego box underneath the tree, a drum set. Those don't work underneath the tree either. So what we did is we implemented a gift-giving strategy that my parents used with me when I was young. Perhaps some of you parents in the room have done the same thing. Here's how the scenario works. Step one, you get all your presents and you wrap those up. Okay? Got it. Step one. Step two, you placed most of your gifts underneath the tree. That is step two. Step three, you place the large, uh, uniquely shaped presents in a secret location. I want everybody to think designated survivor, okay? We're not going to tell anybody where they are, but they're in a secret location. Then step four happens, and these are for the special ones. What you do is you take a piece of paper and you write that secret location on your piece of paper. You get a small box, you put that piece of paper in that box and place that little tiny box underneath the tree, not as what it appears. Then you get to Christmas morning and you open your gifts and wait a minute, there wasn't a bike there and now you have a bicycle. Suddenly, Christmas gifts become far better than what first appears under the tree. Now, in many ways... The truth of Christmas is a lot like that. Many ways for us, we hear of the baby who is born in a lonely, lonely stable. We're familiar with that. We see it. We engage with it. We got it. We learn that that baby is, is a king. We read that he is visited and worshipped from people who come from afar. We get it. We know the story. And then with each new detail, we begin to understand that what we first see in that nativity scene is actually more significant than when we first thought, when we first looked at it. But here on Christmas Eve, 
I want to be honest with you. I want to be upfront with you. It is my hope that as you leave today, you will be more amazed at the reality of the Christmas story than when you walked in here today. That is my hope for each and every single person here. Now, to figure out how we're going to get there, we're going to turn to the Scriptures. But before we do that, let's pray together. Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that on a cold winter day, you have brought us here in the warmth and the gathering of your people. We are here with family, we are here with friends, we are here with our church family, God, and we desire to meet with you in these next few moments, to meet with you in your word, because, God, we stand upon your word, we believe your word, we believe that it has what we need to know and understand and to walk in your ways. So, God, we need eyes to see the truth that's found on the pages of your word. We need ears to hear this truth, and then we need humble hearts before you to take what we hear and to truly live it out in our lives. And so we need your spirit to guide us and lead us into that. And so we pray for this now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, throughout the Advent season here at Woodside, what we've been doing is examining key passages in Matthew's gospel. Now, Matthew's gospel is in the New Testament, and what he does in the New Testament is he often refers to passages and key texts from the Old Testament to tell us the significance and the fulfillment that comes in Christ. He points to the Old Testament prophecies, and he says, this is fulfilled in Jesus. But I want to tell you something else, something else that is fulfilled in Jesus, and that is the deepest longings of the human heart. If we are honest with one another, what we're longing for in our deepest places is found in the person of Jesus. Now, today we're going to be turning our attention to something that is often overlooked when we consider the birth narrative, when we kind of consider the life of Jesus. We know the birth story, we know the end story, but oftentimes what we overlook is something that we're going to focus on today, and that is we're going to be looking at the heritage of Jesus, the lineage of Jesus, and why it matters to you and to me on a Christmas Eve. And it does. I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. It's underneath the seat, perhaps in front of you, and uh, you can turn there. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. If you want to pull out your mobile device, we're going to be going there. While you're going there, I want you to, uh, to know this, set the stage for you. King Herod is a tyrannical leader, and he's on the throne. And when he hears of the birth of a baby named Jesus, he becomes very, very ang angry. You might say, well, why? Because that baby was referred to even in the early stages as a king. People came from afar to engage with the baby. And the word king messes with Herod. 
He doesn't like it. He feels threatened by it. So to protect his rule, to protect his reign, he orders all of the male babies to and under to be killed. That's the kind of tyrannical leader that we're looking at today when we see the name Herod in our story. What it also points to us is that Jesus is clearly not just any baby. He's not just any baby. So God miraculously, now I'm going to be honest with you, I don't toss that word around casually. Oh, that was a miracle. It was a miracle. No, very few things in our world are miraculous, but this is one of them. God miraculously guides Jesus and his family to Egypt for their protection. Through an angel, God tells Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, to keep his family there until it is safe to return. So that sets up the stage for what we are about to read now. So go ahead and grab your Bible, Matthew chapter 2, and it's on page 808 if you're reading along in our church Bibles. Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. Here's what he writes. But when Herod died, behold, An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and he took the child and his mother, and they went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went, and he lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. It's a powerful story. It's a familiar story to many of us, but if we're... I'm going to be honest about this. When you know the Old Testament and you look to some of those passages, it's difficult to make that kind of link from what you see in Isaiah directly to Jesus because of the word Nazarene. It says, well, he's going to be called a Nazarene. And if I'm honest, where is that written of in the Old Testament? Where is that stated? Church, this is the place where what we're going to do is see something that is far deeper and far more rich than when we first approach the nativity scene, when we first come and look at the baby Jesus. Because the depth and richness comes from a multitude of sources in the Old Testament, and they're all prophets. There's Jeremiah, Zechariah, and Isaiah. So let's dig into the scriptures once again this time. We're going to read two passages that will really guide our way and point us to a deeper understanding. The first is found in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king, and he shall deal wisely. The second one is found in Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and shall build the temple of the Lord. These are two separate writings, two different people, two different prophecies, and they both make reference 
of the branch. They're both referring to the branch. The reality is they're not alone in using that terminology. Many other prophets from the Old Testament speak of the branch as the one who would come as the Messiah. So what is that all about? I mean, really, let's be honest. Why does that matter to us on Christmas Eve? Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) The word used by the prophets here. Now, I want to take a quick aside. You guys know that I don't do this very often. If you are part of our Wait Lake family, I very rarely reference the Old Testament language of Hebrew or the New Testament that was written in Koine Greek. But what we're going to look at today comes from that original language of Hebrew, and it matters. It matters. You see, the Hebrew word used by the prophets is a word called nizar, And that word would be identified as a branch, a branch. But some of you also picked up something else. It sounds a lot like a place. It sounds a lot like the hometown of Jesus, Nazareth. Isn't that curious? Maybe when we come to Jesus, there are things that are deeper and richer than they first appear. I'm going to be honest. Those two passages we looked at from Jeremiah and Zechariah give us a bit of clarity. One that gives us a great deal of clarity is Isaiah chapter 11, and we're going to spend some time in Isaiah 11 as we continue today. Verse 1 says this, and it's very clear. There shall come forth a shoot, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. What's so rich, what's so amazing about the fact that Isaiah wrote this is he wrote this some 700 years before the birth of Christ. 700 years. And yet because of the lack of faithfulness of God's covenant people, God had a chosen people, a covenant people, a people that he had established a unique relationship with. And because of their failure to be faithful to that covenant, it had brought much destruction upon themselves. And so when he says a stump, that's imagery for the fact that the tree had fallen. And yet... From that stump comes hope. From the stump of Jesse, now Jesse is King David's father, shoots the one who would literally change the world. His name is Jesus. And this helps us see the first truth today that we grab a hold of from the Old Testament prophecy that there is a royal lineage when it comes to Christ. Jesus has a royal lineage. From the stump of Jesse, King David's father, comes the branch, the long-awaited Messiah. Now, let's hear more 
from the prophet himself. He goes into great detail in the next few verses. And what it shows us is not just the significance of the branch, but the character of the branch. Here's what it says in Isaiah chapter, uh, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 2. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of understanding. So he will lead in wisdom. Isaiah 11.4, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus will lead with equity. Isaiah 11.6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Picture that together, not normal. The wolf and the lamb dwelling together. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Again, not the norm. How can that happen? Because there is peace in the land. So he will lead with wisdom. He will lead with equity, and he will lead with peace. I want to pause for just a moment and encourage you to kind of consider when you hop online and you go to your favorite news source. Are those three words something that you hear a lot of practiced in our world today when it comes to world leaders? Yeah, there's a lot of wisdom happening there. Tremendous equity, tremendous peace in our world. Fact of the matter is those are in short supply. They don't come naturally from people in power in our world. Most leaders often lead out of foolish self-ambition and self-interest. And yet for believers, this is why we celebrate. This is why we celebrate with excitement the coming of Jesus first as a baby in a stable, and ultimately at his second coming when he will bring restoration of all. This is because Jesus will provide a righteous rule. Jesus, the branch, will provide a righteous rule. I love the way a theologian by the name of Herman Bovink describes this righteousness. Here's what he writes. He says, Christ is the gift of God's love. We can picture that when we come to the manger. Jesus is the picture. He's the gift of God's love. And Bavink continues, and he is at the same time a manifestation of God's righteousness. He is a righteous ruler. And church, it's on this point that I want to pause. I want to pause. I want us collectively to kind of catch our breath for just a moment and consider the righteousness of the righteous ruler. You see, it's because the one who is born in a stable The one who is at the center of the nativity scene, the one that is told about in both the Old Testament and here in the New Testament when we read Matthew. He is the one who grew up to live a sinless life. He is the one who ultimately would sacrifice that life for sinful people like you and like me so that we might have so that you and I might experience hope as well as have hope for the future because of everlasting life. That's what comes through the branch. 
And this is why I stand on this stage on Christmas Eve behind this pulpit and I can declare to you that the truth of Christmas is far better than you could first imagine. When you come to the nativity scene, you see it, it's nice, it warms our heart, but the reality is it is far richer and far more deep than we can imagine. Now let me take it to a more personal space. Because hope and eternal life are not experienced in the abstract. Hope and eternal life are not just needed at Christmas time. In January, in February, in June, in July, we need this hope of eternal life. Because the reality is we are real people who have real pain, we have real grief and real struggles. And it is only because of Jesus, the branch, be, because of God's grace to you and me through faith that we can have hope. So on this Christmas Eve, let me ask you the question, do you have hope? Do you know Jesus through faith so that you might experience eternal life? Church, Jesus is the one who provides that for us. And that is why what we first see at the manger, when we first see the baby, the reality of that, it's far deeper and far more meaningful and far more rich than we could have first imagined. Now let's turn back to the text. Isaiah chapter 11. We're going to finish it up with verse 10. In that day... The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. You see, the branch, Jesus, will one day be king over all nations. The righteous rule will take place over all nations. Wars between nations will cease. Divisions among people groups will be over. Self-serving power grabs will be no more because Jesus the Christ will have universal reign. From the baby in a manger to universal reign, that is what we're talking about when we look at the nativity scene. Church, this is the hope of God's people because this is the vision that the prophets Jeremiah and Zechariah and Isaiah and many others have declared the branch from the root of Jesse, David's father, would one day rule in righteousness. And so this is why. God told a humble artisan named Joseph that the baby inside the womb of his fiancée was in fact conceived by the Holy Spirit. And this is why when the starry consolation in the sky announces the birth of a king, wise men travel from afar to bring him gifts and to worship him. And this is why when wise men acquired, inquired of King Herod, he feared his future and became violent 
all because the child born in that lowly stable was far more significant than anybody understood in that moment. The fact is, most completely missed the fact that Jesus is the promised king. And so here on Christmas Eve, as we focus on the birth of Christ, it is my prayer today that you would look at the familiar story perhaps a little bit differently. Maybe you'll have a new appreciation for the historical significance of what took place Perhaps you'll kind of consider the significance of prophets hundreds and hundreds of years earlier telling of the birth of, the, of Jesus who is the branch. May I encourage you, take another look. Come to that nativity, consider afresh, reflect upon it once again to see the birth of Jesus the Christ. Because the truth of Christmas is far better than what you or I may have really considered. Because Jesus is the promised King. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.